listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Cantor David Fair, Cantor Educator at Temple Emmanuel and the United Jewish School in Grand Rapids. Cantor David, welcome to our show. Hi, Neil. Hi. Hi, hi, Rabbi Ann Switch. It's nice to see you. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Um, so let's start with the easiest question. What is a cantor? Well, you've asked the loaded question here. A cantor is generally one of the two spiritual leaders of a Jewish congregation, of a, a synagogue or a temple. So a lot of temples are led by a rabbi and a cantor. So rabbis and cantors, we go to the same seminary together. We sit next to each other and we learn Bible and all of our sacred texts and uh, how to officiate life cycle events and all of that type of stuff. Uh, but where the cantor stands out is that we specialize in music and specifically in singing. So we will be leading the congregation in singing all of the prayers and for keeping the traditions of Jewish music alive. So a rabbi and a cantor will lead a worship service, but you know, I go to those board meetings, I do a lot of pastoral counseling, I am sitting behind the desk, uh, these days, it's actually becoming a little hard to tell the difference between the two, because especially a lot of rabbis are more and more musical and guitar playing. But I, I suppose the simple way to say is that we are like um, musical clergy. So I, I read an article which I actually shared with my Introduction to Judaism course, um, which I thought was a very interesting development of the leadership models in Judaism, starting with the biblical model of the priest, the prophet, and the king, and then moving into that rabbinic model um, of the rabbi as leader of the community. But then as the cantor developed, um, it asked, what's the role of the cantor? And it suggested that the rabbinic role was more in terms of interpretation of law, whereas the cantor's role was more like the priestly role of the temple in holding people in the ritual. So not necessarily going to the cantor and saying, what's the halakha, what's the law here, um, but, but turning around and saying, help lead us in this ritual service. Do you think that's, from your experience as a cantor, do you think that's an appropriate way to see what it is to be a cantor, or is your experience different to that? I think what you just said is very interesting. Um, it doesn't exactly line up with how we live our lives these days in the model of a modern-day synagogue. But let's see. Um, I'm not 
terribly interested in interpreting halakha um, and deciphering, uh, you know, coding and text. But I certainly do end up doing a lot of ritual stuff, um, something as lovely as learning how to wave a, a, a lulav and an etrog, which I certainly did a lot of. But um, yeah, I, I've officiated conversions. In fact, I've taken students from, you know, hey, I'm thinking about converting to Judaism to straight up in the mikvah. So I definitely do do all of the life cycle events, weddings and funerals. And I, I've, I've had to become an expert in how many scoops of dirt and which way do we turn the shovel and what does Baruch Dayan HaEmet mean and all of that stuff. But where I think it gets a little bit muddy is that, God, do I love Torah and I love um, opening up my chumash, well, okay, the five books of Moses. And I love opening up Leviticus and looking at these really wacky laws and saying, how does this apply to 2023? And what did Moses mean? And why did this happen? And let's consult a bunch of other sources. I can get real nerdy about that. So your definition, it, it's an interesting one, but you know, it gets it's it's changed over the centuries, right? I I, I absolutely hear you. I really appreciate you clarifying that from a cantor's perspective. I wonder if it's not necessarily about passion, because I think it's fair to say that um, when you said you're not always passionate about looking in the codes, I'm I'm not sure necessarily that that wading through lots of Jewish legal literature over the last two thousand years is something that excites the soul. Although it can do for sure um, for some people, uh, I I wonder if this is about not necessarily passion but artistry, in the sense of. I wonder sometimes if a rabbi's role is more to show artistry with words and a cantor's role is to show artistry with music. Is that fair? I, I'm still exploring this myself. How do you respond to that? How do I respond to that? I would say in a very basic level, yeah, the rabbi, the rabbi is gifted well, one one hopes that the rabbi is gifted with words and writing and deciphering texts. I think I turn a phrase pretty well myself, right. but generally, no, I, I can't say that I spend a good deal of time um, doing heavy, deep writing or um, even opening up and deciphering through Midrashim and, uh, you know, Gemara and stuff. I would love to, my God, I would love to have the, the, the time. But the role of the modern day cantor is like, I got to get the Friday night service together. I've got to get the band together. Um, and at my synagogue, I'm, I'm very grateful that my rabbi really depends on me as a true partner. Like, you know, he turned to me today and he said, what are we going to do about Israel this week? How, how are we going to 
put together a Friday night service that is going to really, you know, bring some honor and some important meaning to how our community is dealing with with Israel. Um, as we are recording this, we're right in the thick of the war. Uh, so, anyhow, I have to spend a lot of my time thinking about worship, 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 worship. Right. And I, I don't necessarily get a ton of time to do the kind of um, word artistry that you are talking about. But I want to assure you that that's in my wheelhouse. Sure. But that's, I think, why we have rabbis and cantors. You have your specialty and time dedicated to that, as do I. So what what you're suggesting this this shared leadership model and and it's lovely to hear it's always lovely to hear when a rabbi and a cantor work well together and play off each other and respond to each other what you're sharing in terms of getting the service ready getting the shabbat service ready for example is very much worship based but i know you have a passion for social justice as well so how does that fit into, how does that become part of your cantorate? Um, what is the role of a cantor in social justice? Or how do you feel the call of social justice to you as a cantor? Well, I'll start off by saying that this is not every cantor, and it's not even every every rabbi. Um, not every rabbi is called to social justice. I've worked with, oh, I want to say two now that maybe three, that it's just not a part of who they are. They would really rather stay away from any type of politics or uh, anything that is possibly going to be a hot topic societally. And there's no judgment to there. Uh, you know, they focus on deciphering through prayers and deciphering, you know, the weekly Torah portion and uh, improving the Jewish community. But I am who I am. I was a person, I was a full, full fleshed out person before I entered the seminary. And I feel very passionate about racial justice, about LGBTQIA plus justice. Um, I haven't made a, a real distinctive uh, study and career out of it, but I certainly feel strongly about homelessness and food insecurity. But, you know, I've got my niches. And when I wrote, well, every cantor, just like every rabbi, we have a thesis that we write at the end of the five years of study. Mm -hmm. And my thesis, oh, geez, do I remember it? I think I called it the um, Jewish Black Americans, the history, the history, the stories of Jewish Black Americans, something like that. Right. And uh, and that's because my dad was Black and my mom was white and I identify as Black. So it's near and dear to my heart. And while I used to be like, please do not just call me the Black Cantor, that is, that right. really diminishes the fullness of who I am, that I'm a, first and foremost an artist and I'm a singer and and I care about Judaism and I you know, but to be honest, I sort of embraced it um because I feel so passionately about it. And of course being gay um 
it's it's almost like it was thrust upon me. Um, I mean, especially at my congregation now, which is in Western Michigan, which is a very politically conservative area of, of the country. I encounter a lot of resistance and a lot of pushback when I am trying to, I mean, even something as simple as let's, so uh, I'll start by saying we have a tradition here at the temple of having men's night once a month and women's night once a month. And it was my partners and I, it was our idea. Let's have LGBTQ plus night once a month, especially because we have so many trans people at our mm. congregation right. and specifically non-binary people. And they don't feel completely welcome to go to a, a men's night or a women's night. So even just um, having that night and publishing it and putting on the, the flyer, this event is designed for members of the LGBTQ community. That has been seen as uh, me being exclusive, me excluding right, right. straight people. And uh, I got a ton of pushback, a ton of complaints. You know, how dare you make an exclusive group? Uh, everyone should be able to go to everything. And mind you, no one has ever complained that, you know, a woman has never complained. Like, why can't I go to men's night? Um, and sadly, so I'm the cantor educator. And what that means is that I supervise the religious school. I, I speak my truth. I teach my truth. And, you know, I do mention the existence of racism, and I don't just mention it in February. I talk about it throughout the year. I um, teach about Black rabbis. I show pictures of Ethiopian Jews. That has been seen as you are making our white children uh, feel guilty and not feel special. So I... Uh, I've had to get involved. And um, every time I get some pushback, I just think, David, this is what this is what God called you to do. And they hired you. And the thing is, this right, place right, hired me. Right. They hired me. They knew exactly who I was. So I just got to believe that the leadership supports me. We have to take a pause for a little break, but I really am very moved by what you've just shared. And I, I want to come back uh, after the break to, to actually discuss Judaism and whiteness, because I think it's a really important topic that you've, that you've brought up. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Cantor David Fair, Cantor Educator at Temple Emmanuel and the United Jewish School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Cantor David Fair, Cantor Educator at Temple Emmanuel and the United Jewish School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Before the break, 
um, Cantor David, you were talking about speaking your truth and, and how you were getting pushback from um, many people or some people, I guess, um, to when there was a men's night and a women's night and you introduced the LGBTQ night and people complained that you were excluding them. And, and even though they hadn't complained about being excluded from men's night and women's night. And, and you shared about this painful experience of um, introducing, celebrating, I guess, um, Jews of color, of differing color, Jews of differing experience around the world and people saying that, that, um, that you were excluding them. This all leads to this underlying assumption, which um, this, uh, what of, people often call the Ashkenormative assumption, that Jews are white. What do you say when you experience this assumption, which clearly isn't true, but what does it feel to you? What does it mean to you when people start talking about the assumption of whiteness of Jews? I just think of the pain of Black Jews, Asian Jews, Indian Jews, Hispanic Jews, when they when they are meant to feel othered and like they don't belong here. You know, I've got kids in my religious school. I'm thinking of one who is Asian and um, thinking of one who looks a lot like me, black parent and a white parent. And, you know, how can you possibly feel like this is where I belong when, you know, a, a person of color walks into a Jewish space and uh, someone hands them their coat and says, can you hang this up, please? Wow. Which I've heard, oh my God, I've heard that so many times. I mean, I I live a life of white privilege, even though I don't identify as white. You know, I'm very fair skinned. You know, I'm, you know, what we used to call mixed when I was a kid. Mm. But, oh my gosh, people who have two black identified parents or being handed a drink at a bar mitzvah um i i think it's just it's fine to talk about our ashkenazi heritage in fact you know i just made borscht two nights ago (laughs) and i was like advertising it on the Temple Facebook group and talking about the Ukrainian tradition. But, you know, not all Jews have borscht in their lineage. Some Jews are from Ethiopia. Some Jews are converted Jews. Mm. And I really want all Jews to feel like I'm not a weirdo here. I'm not here at the grace of these nice white people. This is my religion. And I'm just so focused on making sure that this is a loving and welcoming environment for everyone. And I will add that historically... Jews are not white people. Indeed. Obviously, we are now. Whoa, did I just say we? Obviously, the Jewish people are predominantly white. I'm going to put that out there. It's an it's an obvious fact. But, you know, you just, I think you just said, indeed, yes. I mean, come on. We descended from the Middle East. And, um, I mean, it would make absolutely no sense for someone whose lineage is from in North Africa and the Middle East to look like they're from Russia. So, 
there's been lots of mixing over the years. Um, I just think we got to get with reality and we got to get with science. And I think there's something for me very profound about how following, adding to what you're saying about how Jews have not enjoyed the privilege of whiteness. You know, you mentioned you lived in, in that privileged experience, as do I, but Jews traditionally haven't lived in the privilege of whiteness um, for most of our history, for the overwhelming part of our history. Um, only until fairly recently has has that changed. So I think I think there's this notion of the normative whiteness of Jews, even if the majority of Jews today have white skin, the, even the idea that Jews are white is, for me, is is fascinating and and profoundly inaccurate because of exactly what <laughs> exactly what you're saying. So, but let's because we've only got about six or seven minutes left, and, and because the cantor's role involves this sort of traditional modern worship you know we're we're bringing in i want i want to hear since your voice is such a modern voice how do you take a an ancient tradition and how do you create that blend i guess between traditional and modern worship how does it how does that work for you as someone in the 21st century maybe singing texts that are 2000 years old what, what does that mean for you what is that what's that spiritual drive within um, how do you balance that traditional and modern worship i almost think of it like when i studied clinical pastoral um, education you know if someone was to come to me and say my child died and i don't know how to cope mm -hmm. obviously I can't relate to that situation. I don't even have children, but I know what loss feels like. I, I know the pain of, of, of losing someone. So I can completely relate to these sacred texts because over the centuries, the human experience hasn't actually changed. When we're happy, we say, thank God. God is great. My life is great. When I'm on an airplane and there's a little bit of turbulence, it's, oh my God, God, please save me. I'll be a good person. And sadness, you know, when I sing through El Malay Rachamim, I mean, I, I even just felt a little bit of emotion just saying those words. El Malay Rachamim is the prayer we say at the grave site where we ask that God please care for this person during their eternal rest. So I feel it is so relatable. And with our modern melodies, and that's how I see Reform Judaism working. Our modern melodies can connect modern times with the sacred. Mm -hmm. So when I'm singing something that sounds a little bit like a Disney movie. <laughs> like, I'll, okay, so Jonathan Commissar wrote a Modim Anach Nulach. That is a prayer where we give thanks to God. It's our Thanksgiving prayer. And it sounds like it's from Pocahontas or something. So all of a sudden, I'm marrying those two together. And I just, 
I, I think also by utilizing English. Um, Cantor Benji Ellen Schiller has written so much good music. I'm thinking of an Osa Shalom. You know, those are sacred, ancient words. Osa Shalom bim romav huyase shalom aleinu be'alkol Yisrael be'alkol yushvei tevel v'imru amen. May the one who brings peace in the heavens descend on us and the world will say amen. I mean, and then it goes into Ose shalom bim romav huyase shalom aleinu. And all of a sudden, I'm 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 I'm, I'm relating the two. I'm right. we're singing in English, we're singing in Hebrew, and it feels very Jewish and it feels very sacred. I don't. I think people complicate it. Um, we have a traditional way of singing our prayers called Nusach, which is where we chant in an in an ancient way. But you can transition into a modern melody from that very seamlessly. You got to be an artist. And I think that's what cantors are about. We are the artists and we figure out how to marry the traditional and, and the modern. I think it's it's very powerful for me to hear you share this. I mean, I as well as a reform rabbi working with an extraordinary cantor, where we similarly have this blend of Hebrew and English in our services. And I think it's fascinating for me that we come from a tradition that talks of the Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, in the assumption that that's the language you pray in. And yet Talmud turns around and says, but you can actually pray these certain prayers in the vernacular. And so the the fact that we have that tradition, which really wasn't taken up until Reformed Judaism in the 1800s said, can we actually do some of this in language that people understand? Because sometimes there is a service, there's a feeling, even if you don't understand the words, um, that, that it can evoke a certain emotion. But um, but sometimes actually knowing what the prayers mean can be very helpful as well. So I really I really appreciate the way that you've you've shared that balance um, between the way that you understand tradi- traditional and, and modern worship and bring them together. And and I'm also very moved. I have to say when you said about how human experience hasn't already changed. And I'll be honest, my instinctual reaction was, of course, it, it's changed. But then it, it came to me in terms of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, what has been will be again. And and I think it's actually, for me, very powerful for you to share how your role is in part tapping into what is quintessentially human, no matter which generation we're in. So I really want to thank you for for coming and sharing yourself and coming to explore um, some of this uh, in terms of race and in terms of um, what it is to be a cantor. It's it's really been fascinating. And I genuinely hope that you'll come back to our show again and, and maybe we can continue our conversation. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So thank you to Cantor David Fair, Cantor Educator at Temple Emmanuel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you for coming on to our show and for helping us to really explore what it is to be a a worship leader, to be a, a, a member of clergy in a differing way to a rabbi, which is certainly the model that many people will know nowadays. So thank you for opening up for us that that opportunity to explore what it is 
to be a cantor, to be an artist in terms of worship, and and also especially to share. Thank you for sharing how you speak your truth um, as a member of clergy, as you weave together the ancient and the modern tradition. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.